Thank you for listening to the Vantage Point Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. nearing the end of our series, Good With Money, and uh, we've been talking about this idea that, you know, there has never been a more important time with everything that's going on in our economy and in our culture to be good with money. And, uh, but here's the hard thing, though. We recognize that's true. We recognize that's important. We want to be good with money, but it is so easy to be bad with money. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like it is so easy. Like, like, you don't have to work hard to make a mistake with money. Like, I've never, you know, it's so easy to overspend and to get, get you know, take on debt that we can't pay for. I don't have to work real hard, um, you know, to get mesmerized by new and shiny. You know what I'm saying? Like, that happens naturally. Like, like the newest thing will come out, the newest technology, or, or it's bright and it's shiny. It's like, oh, I want, no one has to tell me that I should want that. Granted, all the media does tell me, but no one has to do that, right? Like, I've never had to, to, to say to myself, you know what? I'm going to work really hard this month. I'm going to make it my goal to become more dissatisfied with my life. I've, I've never had to have that conversation. It's so easy to get stressed and overwhelmed about money and stuff and then to argue and hurt the ones that we love. It, it, it's too easy to be bad with money. And so the question is, well, how can we be good with money? So this morning, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's kind of going to be where we're landing at this morning. And so the question is, why so often are we bad with money? I mean, we want to be good with money, right? We have the desire. We know we should be. So why are we so often bad with it? We think we know the answer, don't we? We think the answer is simple. Well, if I made more money, you know, then everything would, would be taken care of. If I, if I could just win the lottery, my life would be great. Has anybody ever had that daydream? Be honest, you're in church, you can be honest. You've daydreamed of like winning the lottery. You know, maybe it's gotten to a certain, you never, you don't play the lottery, but when it gets to a certain point, you play the lottery. Um, I'm going to stop talking now. Anyhow, <clears throat> so right, we, we have this thought, we think, well, man, if I won the lottery, it would just, I would, everything would be taken care of and I would be happy. Let's do a little exercise. I want you to turn to someone nearby you and tell them what's the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery. Go. You know what's interesting? I, I hear you all talking, and I see you smiling and laughing, you know, like, it just kind of, sometimes it's good just to kind of just think about this, like, oh, man, that would be nice, but I have to bring you back to reality, because here's the thing, the odds of, of you winning the lottery are just as high as someone dying from being left-handed, according to statistics. It's the same statistical, like, odds of winning the lottery, right? It's crazy, and yet, we think, man, if, if I could just have a big lump sum of money just kind of fall in my lap, I would be happy and everything would be taken care of. And yet, I think deep down, we know that's not true, right? We know, we think it would make us happy. We think it would solve everything, but deep down, we know it's not true. I mean, all we have to do is look at, at uh, the, the celebrities in our culture, right? The celebrities who just, it's like they take off overnight and like, you know, all of a sudden out of, out of nowhere, they've gotten everything they ever could have wanted. You know, they have professional success and they have money and toys and fame and, and, and everything that goes along with that. But then so many times what happens? Their life explodes. 
And we think, I, I don't understand. How can they, they have everything. What could make them be unhappy? Why would they just blow up their lives like that? You know why? Because they got everything they thought they wanted. And yet, it didn't, it didn't, they didn't have the, it didn't feel the way they thought it was going to feel. Right? They thought there'd be these, these incredible feelings of satisfaction and, and completeness and wholeness, and it didn't give them what they thought it was going to give them. And in fact, some of them even thought, you know what, I was happier back when I had nothing. Isn't that amazing? But it's not just celebrities. We can experience the exact same thing. I want to do a little exercise with you. Okay, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything weird. But I'm going to ask that, let's, let's just take a moment and reflect. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, and I want you just to reflect not reflex, reflect with me, if you will, okay? So I want, you to think to, I want you to think about some of the best times of your life. Okay, let's just kind of close our eyes think about it. Think about some of the best moments in your life. For some, maybe it's when you first got married. Okay, think about that. Think about when you first got married. And, and maybe I want you to think about what were you living in when you first got married. For, for me and my wife, we were living in this tiny little apartment in downtown Minneapolis, and... Um, it was just, it was on the third floor. There was no elevator. We had to hike upstairs carrying groceries all the time. And you know, it, it was right, like, right in the middle of the city. So, uh, you know, w- when the bars would let out at night, you'd, you'd hear the drunks on the street. And then the city buses would drive by and the whole apartment would shake. But the crazy thing is, is I can't talk about it without it bringing a smile to my face. Think about where you first lived together when you first got married. Maybe think about this. I want you to think about when you brought your, your firstborn home from the hospital. Remember what that felt like? Remember holding this tiny little infant in your hands and like, like they're going to let me leave the hospital <laughs> with, with a baby. I don't, I don't think like this should be allowed. And you go to your car and like you, you put the, your baby in the, in the car seat for the first time and you really hope you installed it right. And you're, you're worried about all sorts of safety and you, you drove home from the hospital doing like 25 miles an hour in a 55. Now let me ask you though, as, you, as you're thinking about that, how much did the car you drove, how much did that affect the joy that you had in that moment? You can open your eyes. See, think about it. When we think about some of the best moments in our lives, you were probably driving less, living someplace less, making less, and yet the joy was real, wasn't it? Because it was relational. Now let me ask you though, is some of that joy gone now? Because we've been pursuing these things that we thought would make us happy when really we've had it all along. I love how scripture puts it. Proverbs 15, we're going to throw these verses on the screen. Proverbs 15 verse 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Chapter 17 verse 1 says, Better a dry crust of bread with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. See, we don't have an income problem we have an internal problem, right? We, we, don't have a, we think we have an income problem. We think if I, if I made more, if I could raise my level of income, then everything would be good. We don't have an income problem. We have an inter- internal problem. And here's the thing. We can't fix internal needs with external means. We can't fix internal, uh, internal needs with external means. And, and we get this, right? Like if you're hungry... And you know, you've probably been so hungry, you've gotten like shaky and weak before, right? Hey, is taking a shower going to solve that problem? Is, is shaving your face or putting on makeup, putting on nice clothes, is that, is that going to deal with the issue of being hungry? 
No, it'll, it'll mask the issue. You can try to hide that. But here's the thing. It's an internal need. And the only way that changes is by addressing it internally. It's the same thing with our hearts and our lives. For so long, we've tried, we've tried to, to fix an internal need with external means. Buy more. Go on another vacation, eat, achieve a better body, a higher degree, more sex, whatever it is. But none of these things bring lasting peace. Because here's the thing. We have a God-shaped hole in our lives. And, and none of these things will satisfy. None of these things will solve it. We don't have an income problem. We have an identity problem. And it's only until our income, it's only... It's only when our identity is not found in how much we have, but in who we belong to, that we'll ever have any real lasting peace. That's, that's how that happens. See, um, I love how 1 Timothy puts it. Let's jump into some more scripture right now. Uh, if you have a Bible, or you can hopefully scroll there on your phone, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this. It says, godliness, and, and what's godliness? It's, it's right actions. It's, it's godly, it's, it's right behavior, it's living according to the standards of Scripture. Godliness, right? But then it goes on to say there's something more needed. It says godliness with contentment. So contentment. See, some people, they have godliness, right? Like they're, they're living according to Scripture, they're, they're, they're following what Scripture says, they're, they're doing all the right lists of rules and trying to, to take care of all those things, and yet they're some of the most miserable people you've ever seen. You know what I'm talking about, like don't nudge your neighbor. Um, but you, you know what I'm saying? What happens is when we have godliness, and that's it, it becomes legalism. It becomes a list of rules, and I've got to make sure I'm doing all these things, and I'm going to pay attention if you're doing all these things. But on the other hand, some people have just contentment, you know? They don't care about what God says. They don't care about how they live their life, and they're cool with it. <laughs> and we know some people like that as well, right? It's like, oh, just, it's all good, you know? But you've seen the results of their life. You've seen... Uh, the relational tension, you've seen some of the family situations, you've seen the, you know, the string of jobs they've had. Like, you feel like, I don't think it is all right. It says godliness with contentment. And what does it say it is? It's great gain. This is kind of a financial, he's using a financial metaphor here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food, clothing, and free Wi-Fi, we will be content with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was reading out of a different translation. That was, uh, that was the NMV. That's the new millennial version. Okay? So I have to... Sorry, millennial. I just throw you under the bus. Okay? Um, it says, godliness with contentment, though, is great gain. See, if we want to be good with money, right, that's where it starts. It, it starts with contentment. Contentment is great gain because think about it. When, when we choose contentment, there's so much of our lives that we get back. There's so much relationally that we get back. I would even say financially that we gain more financially when we choose to be content because you know what happens? We start to, to enjoy those things that we already have. So many times you'll see people that we get so busy chasing this and running after that. You know, it's always the, the next rung on the ladder that we don't even enjoy all that God has blessed us with. You know, Godliness with contentment is great joy. Now, now you might be saying, okay, okay, that sounds like a real churchy thing to say, so what does that look like? I'm just supposed to, I'm just going to be happy. Pastors said, just be happy, just whistle out of church and, you know, walk around all day saying, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, you know. I have no gas, my car's falling apart, you know. Kids are crazy, but I'm happy. Is that, is that what we mean? No. 
No, there's more to it than that. It kind of be like, let's say you made the choice to, uh, to run in a marathon. Now, usually, if you, you, know, you sign up for a marathon, you don't, you don't run the thing the next day. That'd be kind of, that'd be stupid, okay? Uh, what you do is you go into a season of training, and, and you, you do all these things to kind of build yourself up to this point. You, you cultivate so that by the time you actually run the marathon, you've cultivated the fact that you are now a distance runner. And it's the same thing in our lives with contentment, okay? Um, it's the same thing. It's a skill that with God's help, God helps develop that skill in our lives. And so eventually, as we kind of lean into this, some point down the road, you're going to look at our lives and realize, wow, I'm, I'm more of a contented person. I'm not as affected by my social media feed. I'm not as affected by the things I see other people having. I, I don't feel that internal thing that I, I have to get my identity in these other areas. We can become a more contented person. So here's a question then. How do we cultivate that? How do we cultivate contentment in our lives? And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, if you want to cultivate contentment, we have to determine what we really want. We have to, if you want contentment, you have to determine what you really want. We already said when we began this series that, um, you know, we're tempted to look at money for security and, and for satisfaction, things that money was never designed to provide us. So the thing that we have to realize is important before we charge it, before we book it, before we, we uh, agree to work more hours, we have to determine, is this thing really going to give me what I'm looking for? It's funny, I remember watching this movie. It was one of those, you know, um, common, like romantic comedies. I'm sure I got roped into watching it. But anyhow, um, <laughs> you know, guy meets girl. They start a relationship. Guy does something stupid. And then guy has to fix a relationship with the girl. It's a very common theme. It's kind of the story of life. Um, but anyhow, this guy, he's messing up, things up with the relationship. He kind of chose work over his, his, his girl. And it shows him walking around his, his big apartment. And he, he walks in the kitchen. He opens the, the door to the fridge. And he looks in the fridge. And he's like, she's not in there. And he closes the fridge. See, recognize that what he's really after, what he really wants is not in the fridge, and it's not in the garage, and it's not found on Amazon, right? What we want, we want something more. We want something deeper than that. We have to determine, what do I really want? So the question we might have to ask ourselves is, you know what? Do I really want another big trip that I can't afford, or do I want family memories? What am I really after? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking big trips. I mean, if that's in the budget, that's a great thing. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what am I trying to accomplish, right? What, what am I really after? It's crazy. I don't know about you, but, you know, around Christmas, you buy your kids these gifts. And, and I, I remember experiencing this with my kids when they were younger. You know, we, we'd buy them a gift. They'd come in this big box. And on Christmas, we'd, they'd open it up. And here's your toy. Isn't it exciting? And what do they want to do? Play with the box, right? Like you could have saved so much money, I could have just gone to the recycling place, picked up some boxes, and here's Christmas. It would have made me a, a bad dad, but I could have done it, right? What, what do we really want to achieve? Do, do I really want the extra work and long hours of a promotion? Or am I feeling like I want to do something that's purposeful, right? And now, you have to answer that question for yourself, and maybe, maybe the promotion is that thing, but what am I after? Am I after something with more purpose? That's one of the reasons why we're promoting getting involved and serving in the church because we want you to do something that will last for eternity, right? Something you can say, I was a part of that. When you get to heaven, it's still there. What am I really after? Well, I want to make her feel special. 
So I'm going to finance this thing. Okay, well, is she, is she after items? Or do you think she's really after intimacy? Intimacy that items can't buy. W- what are we after? Is what I'm looking for in retail? Or is it found in relationships? What do I really want? This is the question we have to ask ourselves. What do I really want? And is this purchase or this, this, this um, project going to bring it? Remember, Proverbs says, better a dry crust of bread with peace than a house of feasting full of strife, right? If we choose to, to cultivate contentment and peace, it means foregoing some of these things, but, but also foregoing the stress that they bring. Number two, if we want to cultivate contentment, we have to cut out comparison. <laughs> it is so easy to fill up on comparison right now, isn't it? I mean, especially because we live in this social media age where, you know, uh, everyone you, you knew from high school, everyone you knew in college, and, and people you wouldn't even know anymore, wouldn't even talk to, let's be honest, some you don't even really like, but now you get to see their avocado on toast every day. Like, that's awesome. Great, you know, and they're showing you all these pictures of their amazing life. You know, there they are standing in front of their brand new car. Awesome. Why, my car still has a five-CD changer in the trunk, you know? Which, hey, don't mock it. That was cool at one point. You remember showing that off? Yeah, okay. Their plans involve, you know, sushi in a concert, and your plans for the night are, you know, sweats on the couch. Now, some of you are all like, I would choose that instead of the sushi in the concert, but that's, you know. We we compare these things. Oh, great, they're going on another amazing vacation, which you wonder, why do they need another amazing vacation when you see the pictures of them in their house? There we go. Right, yeah, they they have a bad joke policy now. After I tell two, they just shut off the mic, so. (laughs) I've been cut off. Um, And so, but here's the thing. So many times what we don't know is we're comparing ourselves to to the Johnsons, like that commercial we just saw. We don't realize that it's all just a facade. Many times it's all just image, you know. They, they keep raising things up. They're trying. We have this I- idea we want to just look like we have it all together. We have all the, the trappings that our culture says we need to have. But i got to be honest, when I look at pictures like that and I hear stories like that, I don't think rich. I think poor. I think poor in peace. I think poor in rest. I think of relational tension. I think of sleepless nights. I think of ulcers and worry. Because once again, we don't have an income issue. We have an image issue, right? We, we get so focused on settling for image over reality. So I'd say this, comparison is like carbs, right? Comparison is like carbs, easy to fill up on, but they will leave you feeling empty later. So what do you got to do with carbs? You've got to cut them out. We got to cut the, the carbs of comparison out of our diet. So how do we do that? Well, for some, maybe that means taking a social media break. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've seen the documentary. You probably haven't because we've all canceled Netflix. But, uh, you know, there's a new documentary, Social Dilemma, which talks about how, how um, social media and these different companies, they're designed to create discontentment. They're designed to, to drive you to want to, to buy something more. And so maybe for some of us, we need to take a break from social media. Or maybe it's just as simple as, as hiding someone's feed. Like, you don't necessarily want to 
defriend someone, but sometimes it's okay to hide their feed. You don't see everything they're posting because it stirs something inside of us, okay? Um, maybe it's a subscription that you get or an app. Like, like if you have the app of Amazon on your phone, which is just can be evil because not only can you just buy the things you want, like then they have a running list of, hey, you might also want this. It's like, thank you. Thank you for showing me all the things that I want but don't need. But, yeah, I could, I could use that. It's amazing. HGTV, right? You see all these incredible homes, and it's like, then you'll see like these, these 22-year-olds, and they're buying a $1.8 million home. It's like, what do you do? It's like, anyhow, it's just me, okay? I need to, anyhow. Okay, and it's not just, it's not just things like that. You know, also maybe it's going to Home Depot and just driving down the aisles and looking all the, at all the toy, uh, toys, well, kind of, all the tools, <laughs> sorry, that, that we, we want, we have to have, or we're driving, you know, by the car lots and just driving around looking at the cars. I, I don't know what it is for you, but chances are there is some carb of comparison in your life that if you, just like the doctor said, you were to cut it out for a little bit and see how you feel. If you were to cut it out and maybe notice how things feel in your house, maybe your spouse would be like, wow, you're not as, as irritable as you are normally. Like something's different, okay? Like something's going on. If we were to cut some of these things out, maybe we would feel better. If we want to cultivate contentment, it means that we might need to cut out comparison. Number three, choose a percentage to live on. Choose a percentage to live on. Now, here's the thing. We all are living on a, on a percentage of our income right now. We all are. Now, some, you're like, we, we may not know what it is, and then you're thinking, like, <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> all of it. I'm living on 100% of my income. Okay, all of it. Or maybe you're like what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, you know, you look at your spending and how we're using credit, and you add it all up, and you realize, okay, uh, I guess I'm living on 120% of my income. I don't know how that's, po I don't know if I should be scared or excited. Like, did I discover a new way to do finance? You know, should I have a seminar? No. Okay? Uh, but we need to know what percentage that we're living in. Because here's what happens. So many times, we'll think, if I can just bring up my income, you know, if I can just bring up my income, uh, then everything's going to be good. But if we don't deal with our image issues and, and our comparison problem first, you know what's going to happen? is as our income goes up, we'll look around at everyone around us and, and we'll just continue to raise our lifestyle. We'll continue to try to have everything the Johnsons have and, and we'll overspend and outpace because we think, we, well, I deserve this and I should have that. And we'll never experience the peace and margin that God wants us to have in our lives. There's peace in the percentages, okay? Because we'll think, well, I can, I can get more house now. I can, I can have a, a bigger car payment. I can go and get all these things, as, as Dave Ramsey says, you can buy, we can buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't like. That's what we do so many times. Scripture puts it like this. This is Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9. It says, better what the eye sees, meaning better what we already have. Better, better to, to already own uh, a seven-year-old car that's paid for. Then it says, then the roving of the appetite. I'd say maybe the scrolling appetite that we have, right? We're always looking for something bigger and better, and I want, and I want. But I tell you what, I, I want is better than I owe, right? Uh, appreciation, appreciation of something is better than experiencing depreciation. You buy something, and six months down the road, it's like, wow, I still owe all this, and it's worth just this, okay? Um, better than the roving of the appetite, looking for something 
to need. There, there's peace in the percentages. And so, uh, in fact, in the Jewish culture, they, they've done it like this for, for centuries, teaching their kids what it looks like to choose a percentage you're going to live on. So they do it like this. They do the five jars. I'm just going to grab these here real quick. And uh, they've been teaching this to their kids for a long time. So they take five jars, and they start this at a young age. And uh, they'll take some money to give to their kids. So let's see what I got in my wallet here. I got $10 in my wallet, which is uh, amazing because I have a wife and three daughters. Um, so I don't know how that got there. But let's see. So we'll start off with this. We got uh, $10, right? And so we'll take our first dollar right out the top, and we'll put it in the first jar, which is tithe, which is 10%. We're going to honor God right at the top of what God's given us. And then we have another, we still have $9 left. We'll take the next dollar, and we'll put it in this jar, the second jar. And uh, this is to, to help those in need. So we put 10% in that jar, and we still have... We still got a lot of money. Still got eight dollars, right? So we'll put another dollar in this jar. This is a jar of savings uh, to help with hard times. Because here's the thing: if we recognize that hard times are going to come, it makes the hard times a little less hard. Okay? It's amazing. Um, tires wear out. I, I can't remember the, the the amount of mileage you can get on an average set of tires, but tires will eventually wear out. You know, it's important to get your oil changed at least. Every 10,000 miles, once a year, whether it needs it or not, right? That was another bad joke. Um, we know these things are coming up. If we plan for them, right, it makes it a little less difficult. So we still have $7. Let's put two in this next jar. And uh, this is uh, for a happy future. This is our investments. Now, some, it might be a little bit less because maybe your company already does this, right? You have a retirement plan, so they're automatically putting some money in there. You may want to put a little bit more. But this is what uh, Jewish dads teach their kids. And then we have this last jar that we're going to put our remaining $5 in, this jar right here. Oh, I want to say, there's no theological reason for why the jars are different sizes. This, I ran out of big jars, okay? So it's not like, well, according to, no. It's just, yeah. Anyhow, and this one is marked here and now. This is where you get to, to, to spend the rest of our income. And look how much is left. Now, what's amazing, though, is as these kids grow up, Hopefully, like if you're, you know, in your 30s and it's the same amounts, we have bigger problems. But as you get older, the amounts get bigger, right? And so the amounts get bigger, but the percentages remain the same. And it's amazing. I want to say this. You know, you look at this jar right here, this jar marked to, to help those in needs. I got to tell you, it, it is so much fun as we learn to kind of live in this mindset, as this jar fills up. And you're able to help people who are, who are hurting or in difficult times. And you, you don't just have a big heart. You can also have a big opportunity to make a difference. And our hands aren't tied because Visa owns our, our disposable income. It's amazing what God can do. And I want to say, this is not a, a one-size-fits-all. I'm not saying you have to do it this way. But you know what? I encourage you, choose a percentage. We're already living on a percentage of our income. We get to choose what that percentage is. It's like this. So let's throw up this picture. Um, this is John D. Rockefeller, one of the first millionaires in the country, and he said this, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. 
It's amazing. You'll hear, I'll hear people say, oh, pastor, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give such and such to the church. But, but I, I don't do this, but you could say, well, well, okay, how much money do you have in your wallet now? Oh, well, I got, you know, 320s. Well, can you give 120? What are you talking about? Here's the thing. More money doesn't, we think, well, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. But the truth is money, it doesn't make us better. Money just makes us more of what we are. So if we're a generous person, more money just causes us to be more generous. If we're a stingy person, a controlling person, more money just brings out more of that money. It just reveals who we are, okay? If we're not doing it now, chances are we won't do it later. It doesn't matter how much money is in the picture, okay? And so that's what God wants us uh, to realize. Now, you might say, okay, isn't that a little extreme? I mean, who spends this much time focused on percentages, well, the credit card companies do when they charge us 18 to 29% interest, right? The, the car companies do when they say, oh, sure, you can spread out your loan over, you know, 99 years and, and uh, you know, $75. That's fine because they know how much money they're going to make on interest. Same with student loans and everything else. The government, the government pays attention to make sure they're going to make sure they get their 20 plus sum of, of uh, percentage of, of our income and in taxes, aren't they? And they're going to tax everything. It seems to me that, that everywhere else people are focused on, on percentages and they're getting the benefits of it. So why shouldn't we? Here's the thing. We can either choose to do this or we can have it forced on us. You know what I'm saying? Like at some point, if we don't get it under control of our spending, then, yeah, the, the, the credit card companies are going to determine what percentage of our income we live on. The government will, will determine what percentage of our income we live on. We can make a choice now or have the choice made for us. It's the same thing with our health, you know. Like, like we can choose to change our, our diet and our exercise now and make things better in our life, or we can wait and, and the change will be forced upon us. But at some point, change is coming. And so what does that mean? And once again, I'm, I'm not saying this is how you have to do it, but I'm saying you, you owe it to yourself to choose now to decide what that percentage is going to look like because it really does set you free. As, as these amounts go up, there's so much freedom, and we're not chasing uh, culture, not chasing lifestyle. It gives us the freedom to do what God has put on our heart to do. So maybe that means we need to rein in our lifestyle a little bit and kind of bring down our percentages a little, uh, the percentage of what we've been living on. For some, maybe that means we keep driving the car that's paid for. Or, you know, we're not going to upgrade our phone this year. We're going to wait a year before we upgrade and take on the extra cost. We're going to brown bag it to work, you know, and bring a lunch. Um, putting a limit on how often we go out to eat. There's peace in the percentages. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back at this time. I remember, um, how many moms in the room? Are there any moms in the room? You all have mom friends. You have that, that mom that you call to kind of like ask questions to or get help from. You know what I'm saying? I remember growing up, there was a, uh, this, this woman, her name was Sharon, and she had a mom friend that, you know, when things would get, get crazy, she would call her up and get advice and get opinions and, and kind of talk her off the ledge. Well, one day, um, her little son, Chuck, he was probably like three years old. Uh, she calls the woman up. Little Chuck had got his hand stuck in an antique cookie jar that they were using. Okay? And so like, she doesn't want to break the jar, and she's trying to get his hand out, and he's like, crying and screaming, well, come out, you know, mom's not sure what to do, she calls her husband, like, what should we do, I think maybe I need to take him into the emergency room, like, I'm not sure what to do, and so she calls her friend up and explains the situation, and friend is nice and calm, and says, well, 
why don't you put Chucky on the phone? So she puts the phone to Chucky's ear and kind of hears, and Chucky goes, uh-huh, okay, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, his little hand comes right out of the cookie jar. And, and Sharon is amazing. Like, what is going on? This is amazing. She gets back on the phone and says, what happened? What did you say? What did you do? She said, well, simple. I just told him to let go of the cookie, and you give him another one. The reason his hand was stuck was because he had grabbed onto some cookies in that cookie jar, and he wanted the cookie, and he wouldn't let go. It's the same thing in our lives. If we would learn to, to, just, let, to just let go, right, to open our hand up, there, just like a good mom wants to give her child good things, I think Scripture says that we have a good father in heaven. If we as parents know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does God want to give good things to us? If we'll yield control, if we don't have to, to, to own it all and to try to force things and manipulate and, and have our hand like this grasped onto it so tightly, reaching for everything, what if we opened our hand? It's like this. When we're born, this is what we look like. This is what our hand looks like when we're born. See that? balled up in a little fist. We, we come out with our, our, our fist clenched. Our hands are closed tightly. And yet we all die like this with an open hand. But you know what's amazing to me? It's so many people, it takes so many people their entire life to learn this. We die with our hand open. We can't take anything with us. But imagine what would happen if we would learn that a little bit sooner. If we would learn to open our hand. If we didn't, didn't wait until we die to release these things, how much more we can enjoy, how much more God wants to, to, to have go through our hands. We can be a part of it. We can enjoy it. We can use it, and we can use it to change the world. We're going to be talking about that a little bit next week, how much more God wants to do when we have an open hand. He wants to use us to be a blessing to the entire world. But here's the thing. I know this. When I have my hand open, it gives me the ability to hold the hand of someone I love. I can hold my, my wife's hand. I can hold my little child's hand. When my hand is open, I can high-five a friend. When my hand is open, I can, I can clap and celebrate your success. I'm not so worried about grabbing onto what I have and what I want that I can't celebrate what's going right in your life. I can clap for you. When my hand is open, I can extend it to help someone who's hurting. But you know what I also know is true? When my hand is closed, all it brings is pain. And we have a God who wants us to experience peace and joy and life. And it happens with an open hand. Let's pray. Father God, um, I'm amazed that I think of what Jesus has done for us, how he opened his hands and he went to the cross. He stretched out his hands. He gave the greatest gift. Lord, your word says that, God, you so loved the world that you gave. Jesus, you so loved the world, you opened up your hands, you gave your life for us. God, we are, we are the most like you when our hands are open. So God, would you do that in our hearts and our lives? Lord, would you open our hands? God, would you begin this process? We want it to start now. We don't want to wait until we die to open our hand. God, we want to open our hands now. So God, Father, we pray, would you help us to do that? As we're praying this morning, maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I've been filling up on comparison. I've been, I've been sick because I've been looking at what I don't have, looking at what my, my sister has, looking at what my friends have, looking at what, what people have, all these things that I want, I keep scrolling, and it's made me feel empty and sick. Say, so God, would you help me? Would you show me how to cut out comparison in my life? 
what do you want me to start to cut back on so it makes a difference in my attitude and my perception and my peace? God, help me to cut back on comparison. As you're praying this morning, others, maybe God's speaking to your heart. It's time to sit down and choose a percentage we're going to live on. If you're married, you and your spouse, you're going to sit down and say, come on, we're going to think through this. Maybe we need to cut back on lifestyle a little bit, but we want to choose percentages that honor you, God, and that bring peace into our lives. We don't want our hands tied. We want open hands that can be used by you. So God, would you show us how to make these difficult decisions? As we're praying, though, this morning, maybe you're here, and if you're honest, you'd say, you know, I've been trying to fix, I've been trying to fix an internal need with external needs, and it's not working. That there is a God-shaped hole in your life, and the only thing that's going to fill it is by finding your identity in Christ. This morning, I want to give you this opportunity. We're going to have our altars open in just a moment, and uh, you can come and respond. You can kneel at the altar and worship to God. You can come up and ask for prayer for members of our prayer team. But before we do that, I just want to say, if you're here this morning and say, you know, I recognize I, I have that. I have that, that God-shaped hole. I've been trying to, to find fulfillment and achievement in my job, in my relationships, in, in the things that I own, and nothing has done it. I still feel just as angsty and just as, as empty. This morning you have a God in heaven. He doesn't care at all about your money. He cares about your heart, and he wants you to know peace. No matter what your finances look like, He wants you to know peace this morning. And it starts by opening your hand and saying, God, I give you my life. So I'm just going to ask everyone's eyes closed. If that's you, you say, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I need to give Him my heart. With no one looking, but would you just, would you just open your hand and raise it so I can know who I'm praying for? I see your hand. That's awesome. There on the back, on the sides. God bless you. All across this room, people are saying, yes, I yield control. God, I give you my heart. And my life, that's so awesome. You put your hands down. Even if I didn't see your hand this morning, if that's the int- I just want, we're going to pray together. And, and even if you didn't raise your hand, but if it's the intention of your heart, you are inviting God to be working in your life. It's not a magic formula, but if it's the intentions of your heart, God's going to be working in your life. So I'm going to say this, at Vantage Point, no one prays alone. I'm going to invite the entire congregation. If you're comfortable, would you pray this prayer with me? Make it your own. Let's pray together. Father God, I give you my life. I'm sorry for going my own way, for choices that have hurt me and choices that have hurt you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins, to set me free, and to give me new life. I receive you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're able to this time. Uh, we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate all that God has done. As I said, well, if members of our prayer team in the front, they would love to pray with you. And I want to let you know, if you said that prayer for salvation, to give your heart to Jesus, we've got some free resources we want to get in your hands. If you stop by our Connect table, we've got a couple little booklets, and we've got a Bible. It's, it's completely free. We leave it out there. You can grab it. If you don't grab it today, I encourage you, that one of the best things you can do is come back next Sunday. Okay, no matter what happens this week, no matter if you make some mistakes, this week you'll be like, man, I messed up. Am I, am I even a Christian? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you've, you've invited God in your heart, he's beginning this work in your life. Keep coming back and allow God to speak to your heart. But in these booklets in the Bible, it's going to tell you how to pray, how to know God, how to deal with temptation. And I would love to encourage you to be a part of that conversation. I'd love to take you out for coffee or for lunch and get to know you and help you know God better. Uh, so I encourage you to talk with me at the end of the service. 
or the like I said, the best thing you do is just come back next Sunday. Come back next Sunday and see what God continues to do in our hearts and our lives. The worship team is going to play now. Let's take these next few moments to worship God.